Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Monday through Friday, Walters opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walters. Walters is also the perfect place to watch football with friends, whether it be Monday, Thursday, or the weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the pitch. Swing and a drive. Hit well to deep left center field. This is way back. Going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Nicholas Castellanos with a 424-foot shot. Back-to-back home runs for the Reds here in the bottom of the fifth and three runs across. Now Cincinnati 3 and Washington 1. It'll be a 2-2 to Farmer. Here it is. Swing a high drive, deep left field, way back. Forget about it. Second deck grand slam on the left field line for Kyle Farmer. His 16th home run of the season, bust this game wide open. Cincinnati 7, and the Nationals 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, September 27, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, Sunday was the 57th birthday of Davey Martinez, and the gift that keeps on giving, that is the Nationals pitching staff, continue to give and give and give some more, as in give up runs. So we'll get to that momentarily of a 9-2 Nationals loss at the Cincinnati Reds. But before we launch into our usual show, we have something special for you to get things going here. The mastermind of the Nats Chat podcast, the man whose fault it is that this podcast exists, always knows if you have a problem with this podcast, it's not Mark's fault. It's not my fault. It's this guy's fault. It's Tim Shovers because he's the guy who schemed this whole thing up. But Tim's going to come on right now and uh, he's got something special to tell us about. All right, thanks, Al. Yeah, so as the end of the season is upon us, we have a week to go. Uh, Just letting you know that we have set up on Nats Chat the Square site, in which many of you have patronized and bought our T-shirts and helped out the podcast this year, setting up sort of an end-of-season donation thing. It helps out with production costs and also gives us a nice start heading into the off-season as we uh, hope to prepare for 2022. From a production standpoint, would love if the Nats played 81 games or even uh, 100 games, but they play 162. So as you can imagine, that adds up a little bit. So any help would be great. We are demanding nothing. If you don't want to give a dime, zero problems whatsoever. 
We have various tiered levels, uh, starting with $5 and going up to $47 for uh, Howie Kendrick. If you want to give $95 because you're so happy that it took 95 years for DC to, to win a championship, that's completely up to you. Al's going to give that website in a second, and we'll also have a link to it in our Twitter account. We're not doing a social media blitz, though. Not going to hit you over the head with this. Again, if you don't want to, no sweat whatsoever. And then also just an update on our off-season plans. Don't have specifics for you, but the answer right now is periodic. But we're not going to miss the big stuff. So we'll be there for you if something major happens. We are going to check in. It's an unusual winter coming ahead with the CBA situation on December 1st. So bear with us through our rookie season as we go from season one to season two. We're not going dark for six months. It's not like you're not going to hear from us until West Palm. So, uh, Al, back to you. All right. Sounds good, man. Uh, well done. Here's the website, natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. That's the same site we send you to to get your T-shirts. And any overflow in terms of donations will be used to try to sign Juan Soto to a contract extension. So I don't know how high we'll go, but I think every penny helps at this point, Mark, when it comes to trying to lock up Soto. So we're going to try to do what we can here as the Nats Chat Podcast. It may take a whole village for the Nationals to keep Juan Soto at this rate out with what he's doing this year. Every little bit matters. But on a more serious note, we know this, but let's make sure that our listeners know this too, that this podcast is nothing without Tim Shovers. The two of us, we put our time in to prepare for the show and then record it. And then Tim puts the real work in after that, late at night, burning the midnight oil to edit it, make it sound so good, pick out the highlights that we use from the radio broadcast, everything about it. And then during the day, he sells advertising. He uh, does everything else that has to be done to make this podcast happen. The reason the two of us signed up for this and the reason we've been so happy with and enjoyed it as much as we have is because of the job that Tim does making it as professional as it is. And while he's done a great job to ensure that we could do this all year long, we want to keep doing it for at least part of the off season and move into next year with the, you know, hit the ground running again. So any bit that you can help us out, I know we'd all appreciate it. And it would really uh, help make Tim's life a lot easier, I'm sure. Yeah, no doubt. Tim has been excellent. Not kidding when I say it. This was his idea. You know, like if you are happy with the podcast, thank Tim. He's the guy that came up with this. He's the guy that put this all together. And uh, anything you can donate, we appreciate. And, you know, it's for Tim and for the production costs of the show. And we thank everyone in advance and we thank everyone for listening, period. We've had a ton of fun doing this and we're very happy to be doing this for, you know, a portion of the off season. And uh, we'll be back next season. So thrilled to be able to say that here. In the meantime, we have a 2021 season that is wrapping up, and uh, it's not exactly finishing up in the best of ways here. Nationals end up losing three or four at the Cincinnati Reds over the weekend, a game on Sunday that was, you know, really emblematic of what is the Nats' biggest problem this season by Miles, the pitching. Nats fall 9-2 at the Reds. Nats give up 24 runs over the final three games of this series, fall to 64 and 92 on the season. And it turns out that even Josh Rogers is not immune to the pitching struggles. He had been a bright spot over his first four major league starts for the Nats. Gets off to a nice start in this game on Sunday afternoon. Third time through the order. And it's so funny sometimes how this can happen. Precisely as the third time through the lineup started, that's when Josh Rogers' struggle started in this game. Like third time through the order penalty is a thing. But to have it be as precise as that, you don't always see, where once he faces the leadoff guy a third time, 
That's when the problems start. But sure enough, that's what ended up happening for Josh. He tosses four scoreless innings, but then gives up three runs in the bottom of the fifth and facing that Reds lineup for a third time. Then the bullpen does its thing. And before you know it, Nats have given up nine runs in a seven-run loss. Yeah, and so here's the thing. He was kind of playing with fire the entire game, and he admitted it. It was a grind all day, and I'm lo- I'm really fortunate and lucky I didn't give up more, uh, you know, than three with, you know, four walks is awful for me. It's, it's very uncharacteristic. Yes, there were four zeros on the board in the first four innings. He got through the lineup twice, but there were base runners every inning. There were some loud outs sprinkled in there as well. So I can't say that I'm shocked at what happened when he did face him the third time, and I think he deep down probably had a hunch that it might be tough to get through that lineup again. But it does speak to this issue that has been there all year long for them. And look, Josh Rogers has been really good. So I don't want to get on him for one bad outing in his fifth start because he's been fantastic and he is icing on top of the cake right now. Anything they get from him is fantastic. But this is the 87th time this year that a national starter didn't reach the sixth inning, that only went five or fewer innings. And their record in those games, that's more than half the games of the season now, going five or fewer innings. And their record in those games is 23 and 64, okay? That's even when they just go five, which a lot of times you say that should be enough. And they've even been in position to win some of those games only going five. They're 23 and 64. When their starter just gets one out in the sixth inning, just one, the team is 41 and 28. So we've talked about it all year long. When the starters can't go deep, you're asking for too much from a bullpen that was not built to do this, and you see what the end result is. And I know what you're going to say here, which is it's hard to get starters these days who give you more than that, but if you're going to try to do that and pull them early, you better have a whole lot of relievers you can count on, and they don't have that either. The national starting pitching ERA for the season now is 464. The Nationals relief pitching ERA for the season now is 502. It cannot be emphasized enough. The pitching is the problem more than anything. I know the offense wasn't very good on Sunday. That's been the exception far more than the rule, especially over these last few months. The offense has not been the the issue. Defense has fallen off a bit, but even the defense really isn't the issue. The pitching is abysmal. The pitching is really bad this season, and we see that happen as this series goes on. I mean, it's not so much about Josh Rogers. It's about this overall phenomenon that has plagued the Nats more than anything this season. And the Nats, in facing a team that can hit in the Reds, just get shredded over the final three games of this series. And, you know, with Josh Rogers, if we're being objective about it, yes, he had been good over his first four major league starts, but look at who he had faced. He faced the Mets. He faced the Pirates. He faced the Marlins twice. Now he starts a game against the Reds in a bandbox of a ballpark, and this is what ends up happening. You know, he looks more like you would anticipate Josh Rogers looking. So, you know, we're not here to crush the guy. But uh, I don't know that anyone should be stunned that we ended up seeing what we saw on Sunday afternoon. So Rodgers, he goes three runs in four and two-thirds innings, gives up seven hits, two homers, two doubles, three singles, issues four walks, has three strikeouts. He throws 102 pitches over the four and two-thirds innings. Like we said, four scoreless innings, then gives up three runs in the bottom of the fifth and facing that Reds lineup for a third time. Uh, Rodgers gives up a leadoff double to the Reds' number one batter, Jonathan India, on a ball that just got beyond the outstretched backhanded glove of left fielder Yadiel Hernandez. And then Rodgers gives up back-to-back homers, a two-run opposite field homer by Tyler Stevenson to right field, followed by a solo homer by Nick Castellanos on a bomb to left center field, despite Castellanos having been down at 1.12, the homer going a projected 424 feet per stat cast. 
Uh, Rodgers then gave up a two-out single to our old pal as Drupal Cabrera on an 0-2 pitch, followed by a two-out four-pitch walk into Lionel DeShields Jr. Ends up getting pulled from the game. And then the bullpen comes into the game, and the bullpen does its thing. And it was kind of funny watching this because Davey Martinez, maybe it was him, you know, feeling his uh, his birthday or whatever, but he had no interest in playing his usual bullpen game. And he said, look, you know, Sean Nolan, it's on you to finish out this game no matter what. And Nolan had problems as his outing went on. But before the Nolan problem started, the Ryan Harper problems occurred. And man, has Ryan Harper season unraveled over these last few weeks. Harper and Nolan combined to give up six runs in three and a third innings and total five walks, one of which was intentional. Harper allows four runs in one official inning of work, gets the final out in the bottom of the fifth, but then in the bottom of the sixth, loads the bases, gives up a two-out grand slam by Kyle Farmer on a blast to left field, despite Farmer having been down at 1.12, and then Nolan gives up two runs in two and a third innings. He issues three walks, nine total walks issued by just three Nats pitchers in this game, and Mark, another grand slam. It is remarkable the frequency with which the Nats have given up grand slams this season. It is historic, Al. This is the 14th grand slam surrendered by the Nationals this year, and that ties the Detroit Tigers of 1996 for the most in Major League history. I mean, stop and think about that. In the history of the game, the Nationals of 2021 have now tied the record for most grand slams allowed. And it's not one or two guys. They're 12 different pitchers have given up grand slams. Scherzer and Corbin gave up two each. All the others gave up one. And there's such a recurring pattern here of them unable to limit the damage in an inning. And when they get to that spot where the bases are loaded, not being able to make quality pitches, that was a meatball that he put up there. Curveball up in the zone. We know he throws curveballs. That's what he does. But he did not execute that one at all. And uh, you saw what happened. And, you know, Ryan Harper, let's talk about his season here for a second. He was all the rage there for a while, coming through in in every situation they were calling on him. Well, on August 15th, he had a 0.79 ERA. It was 19 appearances. He had allowed two runs in those 19 appearances. He's made 14 appearances since then. And in that time, he's given up 14 runs in 14 appearances. And the ERA has now gone from 0.79 to 4.08. Take your pick of why you believe that to be the case, but it's pretty undeniable. And it's perhaps evidence of why Davey was reluctant to use him in big spots earlier on, despite what the numbers looked like. I think Davey had a hunch that when you're a curveball-only pitcher, it's essentially what he is, it's really tough to have success against good hitters doing that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not like the other guys who Davey used were that much better. So, I mean, a lot of this is six and one, half dozen in the other. You're darned with whoever you use. I think the Grand Slam thing, though, is really interesting because one of the big offensive problems for the Nats, especially early in the season, was how bad the Nats were as a hitting team with the bases loaded. And now you look at that on the flip side, how bad the Nats have done from a pitching perspective with the bases loaded this season. That juxtaposition goes quite a way to explain why the Nats have been so bad this year. Now, it's obviously not the only problem, but man, that's quite a discrepancy. You as a team are bad hitting with the bases loaded, and you as a team are bad pitching with the bases loaded, and it just has doomed them throughout this year. And you know, it's it's weird because like you said, it is a lot of different guys who've given this stuff up. I mean, Max Scherzer gave up a grand slam to Daniel Camarena, the Padres reliever. Like, 
there's a weird Kavorka going on with the Nationals this season with the giving up of these grand slams. And maybe it's just a fluky thing and it's just one of those things. I mean, it is part and parcel with the way this season has gone for the Nats. But yeah, that is a, an unusual characteristic for this Nationals team. This just this tendency to give it up with the bases loaded. Well, I almost wonder if this becomes more of a mental thing on both sides as a hitter and as a pitcher. You get into that spot and you know what the track record is and it gets in your head. And now you're thinking, I can't leave it over the plate. I can't leave it over the plate. And then what do you do? You leave it over the plate. When you're a golfer and you're standing on the tee box and there's a big water hazard to your right, you're saying, okay, hit it left, hit it left, hit it left. What do you do? You end up hitting it right. You start thinking about it too much. And I almost wonder if in a weird way that some of these pitchers are having those worries like, oh God, I can't give up a grand slam, can't give up a grand slam, boom, grand slam. Same thing with the hitters, they come from those spots. Oh man, we've been awful in these spots. I got to be much better. I got to come through here. And they don't. So there's a little bit of flukishness to it, but it's happened enough on both ends that there's more to it than just that. There is a reason for it. And they have been historically bad on both sides of that equation. I'm not saying that this alone changes the whole season, but if you flip just a few of those, in the other directions, how many more games would they have won? Certainly some. Again, I'm not saying that's going to turn them into contenders, but how many games have been decided because of that one pitch they threw with the bases loaded or that one swing they took with the bases loaded that didn't produce the hit they needed? Yeah, and it's happened a lot in games, too, that just get away from them, you know? And like it feels like they're in a game, maybe they're down by one or two or even leading by one or two, and then in the sixth or seventh inning, a reliever comes in and doesn't have it and gives up a grand slam, and all of a sudden, you know, you're down 12-3, and, you know, Jordy Mercer is pitching for you. Like, that scenario, it feels like, has happened quite a bit, and, you know, it sort of happened in this game, although, again, Davey was like to Sean Nolan, bro, you're finishing this outcome, heck or high water. Like, I, I got a kick out of that. I mean, Davey's got to be so sick and tired of making pitching changes. Maybe that's why he won't leave the dugout. He's like, yeah, maybe I could tough it out and go to the mound, but I'm just tired of doing it. So Hickey, you go take care of it. But man, it just has got to wear on him. I mean, it wears on us watching these games. I can only imagine for him having to go through this game in, game out. Your pitching staff gives stuff up. Your relievers don't throw strikes. Like I said, nine total walks issued by three pitchers in this game. Ah, it's just so difficult to win when that's what you're doing. And I think it's the walks that drive him crazy more than anything. Okay. You're Sean Nolan. The game is already seven to one at this point in the bottom of the eighth and gives up a one out single. Okay, fine. Then double brings a run in. And then what does he do? Walk, walk. That's what'll drive you crazy as a manager in a spot where you know you are finishing this game no matter what. He is not going to burn up another reliever, not how many they had to use the last couple of nights in really long games, and not with Coors Field waiting for them on Monday. There's no off days before they take the field again. He's got to save whoever he can. This is a lost cause at this point. Whoever's on the mound has got to finish it. And if you're going to do that, at least throw strikes. You may not be a great pitcher, but if you put the ball over the plate, 60% of the time, you're going to get him out. The hitter's going to make an out, okay? But if you cannot throw the ball over the plate, you're just handing it to them, you're prolonging it, you're making things worse. So I think that more than anything is what drives Davey Martinez bonkers. Yeah. And of course, too, you have to say who were two of the three pitchers in this game, Josh Rogers and Sean Nolan, neither of whom was ever supposed to be a part of this pitching staff. So, you know, that's a part of it as well. We've had that conversation many times this season. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates, a huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005. 
Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. That chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here's the set of the pitch. Swinging a ground ball toward the middle and gets through India into right center field. Surrounding third is Keeboom coming in to score, and the Nationals will take the lead by the score of one to nothing. And the Rogers clan behind the Nationals dugout. 
They're on their feet, a standing ovation. This was a rare game recently here with the Nationals offense. Just did not do much. Uh, Nats only finished with four hits in the game. Do draw six walks in the game. Juan Soto, after a white-hot start to the series, ends up kind of cooling off by Juan Soto standards. I mean, he still ends up putting up some big numbers in this series, but he goes 0-3 for with a walk in this game on Sunday. So for Juan Soto now, the major league leading on base percentage is at 471. Batting average is at 322. His major league walks total is up to 138. Well, it's good to see Carter Keboom out there. He uh, had missed the last two games due to a forearm issue. The MRI exam came back positive enough to where he obviously was comfortable playing in this game. And Keboom, and I don't know if this is because he rested. I don't know if this is, you know, flukish and not much more, but he had not looked good lately. I thought he looked good at the plate on Sunday. Some good at bats, hit some balls hard, two for four with a double and a single, top of the third, a double off the left field wall. And then in the Nationals, one run fifth inning, a one out opposite field single to right field on an 0-2 pitch. He needed a game like this. He's been scuffling. Maybe the forearm was a bigger issue than we realized, but he looked pretty good as a batter on Sunday. Yeah, he looked very good. And if you noticed his swing, there were some changes to it, something they've been working on with him. Less of a leg kick. They want him to keep his feet a little quieter. They want him to be just quicker, more compact, take some parts out of that swing. And I think you saw a difference there. And they even told him, like, just focus on hitting singles, hit it back up the middle. What did he do? He actually hit a double deep to left by getting a hold of one. It's funny how that works. You try to hit the ball up the middle, and that's when you actually drive a ball to the pull side. So that was good. The single was good. He ripped a ball in the ninth inning that was caught on a diving play by the center fielder. So yeah, we want to pick out one thing from this game that was encouraging. That is definitely it, because he had not looked real good for about a week to 10 days, and then had the forearm issue and missed a few games. So he's got a week left to try to salvage something here, leave a positive taste in everyone's mouths. So I think we, like we've talked about, out of everyone in that lineup right now that you say who is on the thinnest ice as far as having established their case for next year, I think it's clearly him, both because of the performance here, but because there's a little more track record. We've seen it over several years now, as opposed to, say, uh, Lane Thomas or Luis Garcia, who hasn't been here as long. They've played better, but they have less a body of work, whereas Carter Keboom, we've seen more. And so when he does struggle like this, it kind of builds that narrative of what we've seen for a few years now. So if anybody needs a big week to close out the season, I'd put Keboom at the top of that list. Yeah. And he's obviously had some defensive issues as well. You mentioned Luis Garcia, another double for uh, Luis Two Bags. I don't know. Can we call him Luis Two Bags? I know we had Tony Two Bags here for years, but Luis in this game, one for four with a double. Then that's one run ninth leadoff double, despite having been down in the count at 1.02. Luis Garcia is slugging 490 in the month of September, and it's been a bizarre thing with all these doubles lately. I mean, he has 17 doubles now on the year. That's the same number of doubles that Trey Turner had with the Nationals this season. That's just three fewer doubles than Juan Soto has had on the year. But, you know, you talk about ending a season in relative strong fashion. Luis Garcia is doing that, and he has another extra base hit on Sunday. Yeah, and I thought it was telling that, you know, now that Yadiel Hernandez is back from paternity leave, so, you know, Garcia was hitting in the fifth spot for a few days. Hernandez is back, so he's hitting fifth. Well, what else did they do? They bumped Garcia down just one slot to the sixth spot and bumped Kibum all the way down to the eighth spot, which made me think a little bit about, you know, where those two stand right now, at least within the manager's office. So I thought that was kind of telling. Garcia has, at times, he's still a little erratic, but we're seeing more good than bad. And with a week to go, I think he's close to, if not having already made his case, that he should be the starting second baseman next year. And then also on Sunday, the return of Riley. 
Riley Adams was the Nationals' starting catcher. He started a game for the Nationals for just the second time over the last 15 games. 0 for 2, but he draws two walks. Uh, Riley Adams has been actually sneaky good at getting on base here during his time at the Major League level. You may recall he had a pinch walk in the 8-7-11 inning loss at the Reds on Friday night. Uh, Adams in this game on Sunday, top of the third, draws a leadoff four-pitch walk. Top of the seventh, draws a leadoff seven-pitch walk, despite having been down to the count at one point, one, two. Riley Adams, over 85 Major League plate appearances with the Nats, a 424 on base percentage to go with a 279 batting average and a 485 slugging percentage. So first of all, was happy to see him out there. He barely has been playing here lately, but gets on base a few more times. Since he got called up by the Nats, I feel like he's done nothing but hit. He's been pretty consistent too. Hasn't played a ton. I mean, obviously a guy like Lane Thomas has played a lot more, but Adams, like Thomas, has really shown well for himself. Yeah, absolutely. And he's done it whenever they have called him in. And like you said, it hasn't been very much recently. He went 11 days since his last start. And I know you've been on the case for that for a while. And I tried to tell you he's going to get a start here at some point. Thankfully, it happened. If he didn't get this start, I never would have heard the end of it from you. But I'm impressed with, and I think they're impressed as well, with his patience at the plate that we saw that power surge early on. And that was his reputation coming from Toronto as a guy who could hit for power. I didn't know, and I'm not sure they knew about the patience that he displayed. Like you said, 424 on base percentage is nothing to scoff at. And that to me is a really good sign. He had a big one the other night in the 11th inning in the extra inning game. It was down to the final out of the game, uh, and he drew a walk there. I think that's impressive that in that moment, he can display that kind of patience and not get too antsy at the plate. So how many more games are you going to start over the final week? Probably not a lot. One or two would be my guess is all it's going to be. But I think they have seen enough to know that they have something here. And even if it's just as their number two catcher next year and possibly pinch hitter at times, maybe a DH at times, maybe a first baseman at times, we haven't actually seen that in the game yet. I think they're very pleased with what they've seen from him and know that they're in good hands of the catching position heading into next season. Yeah, I brought this up on the last installment of the podcast. With Yadiel on the paternity list, why didn't we see Josh Bell in left and Riley Adams at first base? Do they not feel comfortable putting Riley at first base just yet? I thought that would have been an obvious and easy way to get Riley Adams some plate appearances instead of burying him for the last week plus. Yeah, I don't think he's done enough work there yet that they're totally comfortable with it. The idea was get him, you know, start getting him used to it. And they keep talking about it being more as something they would do late in the game as part of a double switch or if they you know didn't have a lot of choices. I mean, they've been very adamantly trying to insist that they're not trying to turn him into a first baseman. He is a catcher. But if he can play first base, it's a nice skill to have in case a situation were to arise. I don't know what it would have how it would have gone if they did try to do that in the game here at this point to let him start a game there. I did think that we might see Bell and Left and just Zim at first, because Zim hasn't played much here either. And you you know you think you want to try to get him as many starts as you can down the stretch, and they didn't do that. So I'm not 100% sure why that was. But for whatever reason, you had Bell at first, and then it was Stevenson and left. And my guess is we probably won't see anything else crazy like that now in the final week. But they are working with Adams and you know at least want him to go into next season feeling comfortable enough that he could do it if the situation arose for it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like last week of this season – why not try st- something like that? I mean, unless they really just don't think that he's ready and they don't want him to like, you know, embarrass himself or anything like that. But we've seen the Nats do this in the past. I mean, last year they put Juan Soto in right field to end the season. They were like, hey, you know, let's go ahead and give this a shot. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think it'd be so terrible if they tried something like that with Adams. But again, we don't know where they think he may be defensively. 
at first base. Well, the Nationals now are going from one band box of a ballpark to another. I tell you, Coors Field, we know its reputation. It'll be interesting to see how it compares to what we just saw at Great American Ballpark because, I mean, these were high-scoring games. These were offensive-minded games. So I don't know. Maybe we just get an, an extension of what we just saw here. But three games in three days at the Rockies. Josiah Gray is starting game one on Monday night. Patrick Corbin is starting game two on Tuesday night. Do you think that there is a psychological issue for these guys going into Coors? I mean, especially you think about Gray and Corbin, right? Gray did have a good outing in his last outing, but was struggling prior to that. We know the Corbin deal. It's been a nightmare of a season, although he has been a bit better here lately. Do you think there's something too like the aura of what happens to pitchers at Coors Field? Or do you think it's more just you go out and do your thing and you see what happens? To me, if you're a pitcher, it's hard to ignore the history at Coors Field. I mean, everybody knows it. This is where pitchers go and they struggle and they struggle big time. I think it's a psychological disadvantage for everybody who pitches there. <laughs> Maybe Max Scherzer is the only one who never, at least publicly, would you know admit it or you know, still pitch well. No, I absolutely think it's a thing. And especially for guys who know, okay, well, I guess Gray should have two more starts because he should pitch the finale against the Red Sox, although we don't know that for sure. In Corbin's case, you know this is it. You got one more shot to end this awful season and try to end it on a good note. You have an ERA under six, barely. You're nine and 15 is your record. You can't tell me it's not in his head to think, oh man, I got a Coors Field. How am I going to do this? I got to fight my way through this. So yeah, I absolutely think it's something they're going to have to combat and see how they do it. And the Rockies, who overall are not a very good team, they've played much better in the second half and they've been a great home team this year. All their troubles were on the road in the first half of the season. So watch out. I I, I hate to say it, uh, especially with these late night starts at 8.40 Eastern. I think we all need to gear up for some long, slow, high scoring games that end after midnight on the East Coast, which means you and I, my friend, are going to be up late and Tim's going to be up even later editing those episodes. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is Patrick Corbin He just had issues in a start against the Rockies not that long ago. September 18th at Nationals Park gives up six runs in four innings on 10 hits in that game to go with three walks. So if in Nationals Park, the Rockies were a problem for Corbin, uh, what might be the case at Coors Field? You know, the other thing too with Coors Field is, and uh, Dan O'Dowd, the former Rockies general manager, has talked about this. It's also the air, right? That mild high air. And that takes a toll on you physically. And that's actually one of the interesting things when it comes to like deciphering what to do with Rockies batters offensive numbers, right? Because people say, well, you got to discount those numbers because they, they get fat and happy playing at Coors Field. Yes, but what guys who play for the Rockies also have to go through is playing in that mild high air. And so there is like a taxing effect on you physically. And so I don't think Rockies players necessarily get enough credit for that. But if you're not used to that mild high air and you go into that, that is an adjustment. Like, I know in MMA, when there have been big shows in Colorado, fighters go out there weeks in advance to adjust and train to that air. Like that's a that's a real thing. And so I do wonder, especially like for a guy like Corbin or Gray, you're already worried about how you're going to pitch, right? You got a lot on your mind from that standpoint. And now you're out there pitching and you're breathing heavily and you're starting to get overly fatigued because of the conditions in that environment. I feel like that could maybe be a problem for the Nationals. So it's going to be a lot to be trying to adjust to. Uh, if you're a Nationals pitcher in this upcoming series. Yeah, you know, the good thing is Patrick Corbin has pitched there a lot in his career. Remember, he was with the Diamondbacks, so he's got plenty of experience. Josiah Gray, this is his first time there. And for anybody in the first trip there, 
it is going to be something to watch. And yeah, we've seen it not just in baseball, but in all sports. Think about football teams when they go to play the Broncos. There have been a handful of guys who have medical conditions that aren't even allowed to play there because of uh, a fear of what it could do to them. So there's a, a physical component to it and there's a mental component to it. And you've got to be strong enough to try to block that stuff out. You, you take the precautions you can, but it is different and you have to be ready for it if you haven't experienced it before. And for a pitching staff that has been on fumes for a while now, this is about the worst possible assignment you could have. I mean, let's think about an alternate universe here where the Nats, you know, played better in July and made a couple acquisitions and hung around in the race. And maybe they're the ones challenging the Braves for the NL East right now instead of the Phillies. And you're going to Colorado for three games. Like those would be three really big games and a tough spot to put some of these guys in. It's, it's unfortunate that's the way the schedule, you know, worked out, but that's what it is. And They've you know gone all year without playing there. Now they're going to play there in the last week. Yeah, the schedule is bizarre because if the Nationals were in contention, it would feel kind of screwy that you're ending your regular season with all of these games against non-National League East teams. Like, did we really need to have all those games bunched in tight against the Mets and the Phillies and the Marlins? And now you're ending your season against the likes of the Reds and the Rockies and the Red Sox. Like, that just seems strange. So I guess if you're going to have that on the back end of your schedule, better for that to be in a season like this one, a lost season. Because it would be a shame if the Nats were contending for a National League East championship. And instead of playing the Braves or the Phillies or the Mets down the stretch, when you're facing these teams, like, it just would feel so empty, I feel like. But this has been an empty season for the Nationals, as we know. Well, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. A reminder about the website. You can send in donations to help out with the production costs of the Nats Chat Podcast. You can also get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. The website is natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. From Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And right now, we leave you with a voice memo, a World Series memory, a tale of October 2019. And this one comes to us from one of our favorites, Mason Kalfas of Washington, D.C. Hi, this is Mason Kalfas sharing my 2019 Nats playoff run memories. There are so many that I have that I'm sure will will stay with me until I'm dead. Obviously, just incredible moments, the Kendrick home runs and the Soto single. One, I, I, I ran into Soto in a restaurant, actually, in the middle of the playoffs after uh, right before NL, the NLDS Game 3, which was pretty cool. But one thing that was also very cool, at World Series Game 5, you know, we were all dejected. It was like, oh, my God, we had this World Series in our hand, and now we've blown it. And I saw Carl Ravitch at the game uh, down on Nats, uh, in Nats, Nats Park on the field, and I said, Carl, you know, I was trying to feel positive, and I said, Carl, we're going to win the next one. I'm going to fly to Houston and we're going to win it, and I'll see you in Houston. And he he just sort of laughed at me, you know, like everyone thinks the Nats are dead right now. But sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Obviously, we won game six. I flew down to Houston for game seven. And on the field, or right by the dugout, when all the Nats fans had sort of gathered around and were cheering and going crazy while the Nats celebrated, I saw Carl again. I said, hey, Carl, you remember me? I'm the guy from D.C. that said we were going to win this thing, and I'll see you in Houston. And he gave me, like, a, a good look, you know, hey, yeah, I totally remember you. Uh, he might he might have been uh, BSing me a little bit, but but that was a fun moment that I'll always remember. And uh, what what a run! Just uh, it's reliving all these memories is helping all of us get through the kind of lean years, I guess, of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. And hopefully, we'll be back to some great playoff run memories in twenty twenty two and beyond. And now Doolittle, he comes in. 
Here's the kick of the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball to the infield. For the second baseman, Cabrera, backing up out of the outfield grass. He waits. He makes the catch. And a World Series Game 6 winning Curly W is in the books. The World Series is tied at three victories apiece. A Curly W is in the books. The final score in Game 6, the Washington Nationals 7, the Houston Astros 2. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.